struggling, specialist, critical and survivalist, spitting heaven, fight from his lips, burning slave driver. to time for an awakening on black talk radio network new media for the new millennia this is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom all that getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your host brother elliot and brother richard the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832 that's 215-490-9832 we're streaming live at several locations you can go to time for awakening.com which is the home page and catch the live stream at that location you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, you can go to abibitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn radio app, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on time for an awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB to me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.06 here in the city of Philadelphia on this uh, fall rainy Sunday evening, the 23rd of October, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist, journalist, playwright, and U.S. correspondent to the Herald, that's Zimbabwe's national newspaper, Brother Obi Ikbona Jr., also activist, organizer, and co-founder and executive director of the Friends of the Congo, Brother Maurice Carney is joining us to talk about two of our icons, the Pan-African Life and Times of Kwame Nkrumah and Patrice Lumumba. We're also going to talk about uh, uh, Brother Seiko Touré, which is the 100th anniversary of his birth. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, 
Our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 2444 that number is 215-885-2444 215-885-2444 all insurance incorporated Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother 
From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, it's 7-12 here in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program, I want to bring in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine, and I'm definitely looking forward to having this um, grown-up, and I call it from a political perspective, um, and African people, a grown-up conversation by recognizing these three giants in the Pan-Africanist world. And I, and I think it's important um, for me to say that why I say grown-up conversation, because in the circles I'm in, Elliot, it seems that the geopolitical reality or the pan-Africanist reality has a lot of distortion and a, a lot of misunderstanding as it relates to us here in, in America in relationship to um, colonization, neocolonialism, and what is the world um, power politics that's going on. And in these three men, uh, Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, and, and Amir Sikuk Ture, we're talking about three men that were dealing with power politics at their time that set some foundation to what we're looking at and dealing with today. And that kind of conversation um, doesn't go on as much as it is as there, as the West is telling us that we're in the second cold war. You know, this ought to be an interesting conversation because it deals directly with things we're facing now, Richard. Um, these three giants uh, had a lot of commonalities. Uh, two of them were union organizers and journalists, and uh, even Nkrumah was a journalist. But he was a highly educated man, Nkrumah. And and the thing about it, he was highly educated, but he wasn't indoctrinated. He was highly mm-hmm. educated in the West, had several degrees, but wasn't indoctrinated with Western values, and that's a difference. Uh, we're going to talk about these men's lives tonight, talk about their commonalities, how their lives intersected, their work intersected, uh, because they were all staunch Pan-Africanists. Uh, and we'll get a different view of these men from men that uh, that know them, that know their lives. And one of the brothers that you're familiar with that's been on our program several times was father, uh, was uh, a very close to one of these giants. So we're going to get uh, an in-depth perspective on all of these men's lives. Tonight, our special guest joining us to talk about uh, the Pan-African life and times of all of these men is activist, journalist, playwright, and U.S. correspondent to the Herald, which uh, I think it's other publications too on the continent, Obi Igbona Jr., and also activist, organizer, and co-founder and executive director of the Friends of the Congo, Brother Maurice Carney. Hello, Obi. How are you, sir? Uh-oh. Can't hear Obi. His audio is out. It looks like the mic the mic is was open. But yeah, I think, it, I think his audio is out. Brother Obi, you might have to go out and come back in. Brother Maurice, Brother Maurice can you hear me? 
Yes, yes, I can, brother. Okay, brother Maurice Carney is uh, loud and clear, but brother Obi is uh, his audio is out. I'll try to send it. I think he's going to go out and come back in, Richard. Yeah. Hopefully, we can uh, get him straight. Brother Maurice, good to have you back on Time for an Awakening to talk about uh, Patrice Lumumba, Kwame Nkrumah, and also Ahmad Seko Toure. Uh, interesting men in their own right, all three staunch Pan-Africanists, but they reach uh, the their goals or their heights of what they were doing almost from different approaches. Um, let's start with uh, Patrice Lumumba, who you're very familiar with. Um, a man that was an organizer in the beginning, a union organizer, and started writing as a journalist. And his focus turned political, very political, and put him afoul of Western governments. But before we get into all that, uh, just talk about him from your perspective of uh, 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 the leader of an organized group that has looked into all of these things and uh, um, whose base and, and values uh, are staunch Pan-Africanists. Uh, talk about this man from your perspective, uh, Brother Maurice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother uh, Glad we have the opportunity to uh, talk about the three giants, and uh, certainly a pleasure being on uh, my brother and comrade uh, uh, Obi. You know, with uh, with uh, Patrice Lumumba, uh, uh, there's so much uh, to be said about about him. One of the interesting uh, things that I've observed is that. Probably most of the books written about uh, Lumumba, uh, certainly in English, uh, focus on his assassination and him as an, an adult. And in observing that, uh, we had friends of the Congo uh, a number of years ago uh, initiated a, a project called Lumumba Legacy. Uh, and the uh, Lumumba Legacy Initiative entails several uh, aspects or several projects. One is the uh, Lumumba Scholars Initiative, where we mobilize resources to provide scholarships for Congolese uh, university students uh, who pay their tuition uh, in full. And it's an exchange where uh, the students would study Lumumba, his ideas, his teachings, and also uh, join uh, an organization and be involved in organizing among the masses uh, in the Congo. Uh, a second initiative that we had coming out of uh, Lumumba Legacy uh, Project is uh, Lumumba uh, prize or Lumumba Peace Award, which uh, we give to a deserving Congolese or African uh, each year during uh, during Congo Week, and a, a third project, which is almost in completion, is a graphic novel or cartoon 
uh, on the life of Lumumba that focuses from his childhood uh, right uh, to uh, his uh, his demise or uh, his assassination on the part of uh, Western power. But we uh, focus a, a great deal on uh, his, uh, his childhood. Where uh, with Lumumba, he, he uh, very early on, he exhibited the, the qualities uh, of a leader uh, from very, from even before he became a, a teenager. Uh, he exhibited the qualities of uh, the visionary, and uh, he was also very courageous. Uh, interestingly enough, um, he was born on July 2nd, 1925, uh, which is the same birth date uh, as Medgar Evers. And he was born in a small village called uh, Onalua in a district uh, named uh, Sanku in the Kasai province uh, of the Congo. He's in the central part of the, of the Congo. He be, uh, the indigenous group that he belonged to is called the uh, Ototetela. And the project that we are undertaking with the writing of the story, visual novel, we, is led we're losing, by... We're losing by, your voice a little bit, Brother Marie. Was led, is that any better? Yes, yes. Was led by a member of his indigenous group, the Ototetela which was uh, uh, the name of uh, her sister is uh, Bibian Ananinga Chefu. And she's a member of the Otetela uh, indigenous group, Lumumba's uh, cultural group, and a family friend of the Lumumba's. And not only her, her herself, uh, but her father was uh, close to Lumumba as well, and also Lumumba's. Now, his uh, Lumumba's parents named him Isaiah Tasumbu Tawasa. Let me say that again a little slowly. Isaiah Tasumbu Tawasa. Uh, Lumumba's father, uh, his name was Francois Tulenga, and his mother, Julianne Lomenja. And, in fact, it was Lumumba's maternal uncle who gave him the name Lumumba. And he later took on Patrice Emery. Uh, at the time, in the Congo, when Lumumba had taken on the name, it was uh, Alamo, let's say, it was uh, common to adopt European names. And this gives us some insight into the evolution of him. He didn't, although as a child he was a visionary and he was courageous, he wasn't always radical, revolutionary, pan-African. Uh, that's something that came at a particular period in his, his development. However, he, there were certain traits as a child before he reached a teenager that uh, were noteworthy. 
the village in which he lived had a Belgian colonial administrator who was the overseer of the village workers who, uh, for the most part, or primarily picked cotton. And he was a harsh administrator, colonial administrator, which is actually saying the obvious. <laughs> but uh, Lumumba was outraged by the way in which his administrator was treating the workers. And he was 12, year, 12 years old at this time. And he told his friends that he was going to go to the administrator and let him know that the way he's treating the workers is unfair, unjust, and off the chain. And uh, his friends looked at him and said, aren't you afraid? And he's like, afraid of what? Afraid of who? And so to the shock of not only his friends, but the elders in the community, Lumumba stepped to the colonial administrator and demanded better treatment for the, for the workers. And the colonial administrator was so struck by this child's forthrightness, his directness, his courage, his bravery, that he actually conceded uh, to some of the demands that Lumumba uh, was making on behalf of the workers uh, in his village. And it was this time that the community uh, recognized that they had uh, someone particularly special on their hands that was uh, someone who was touched by the ancestors and possessed leadership qualities. And that bravery, courage, directness, outspokenness was undergirded by an insatiable thirst or quest for knowledge. Very early on, Lumumba was a voracious reader to the point where his friends would make fun of him because he was reading so much. Uh, he, had, uh, he, he went to his father to ask his father to enroll him in school, which he ultimately did. He enrolled him in a Methodist school, a missionary school, which Lumumba would later get kicked out of because he challenged the school administrator and uh, the way the administrator was teaching felt that they were teaching in a way uh, to produce servile Congolese to the Belgian colonial order. So this is uh, very early on, we see Lumumba demonstrating these qualities, which would, would serve him later uh, as an adult. So uh, just wanted to put a pin in it right there in terms of his, his childhood. Uh, just in case uh, Brother Obi's on can be uh, introduced and uh, there are any, any questions or comments to, to this point. Let me let me check and see if uh, Brother, Brother Obi, can you hear me? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, still, still out. Um, can you call in? Yeah, you know what, Brother Obi, if you can hear me, just call in on your phone because uh, your, your computer's not recognizing your... Uh, uh, your voice. So just just dialing on the phone, and I'll I'll take you off of here. Just just come back in on the phone. You know what? I'll have to send him because he's dialing my phone. I'll 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 get it to him. Yeah, yeah, give him. Yeah. Uh, 
while, while we're waiting on him, uh, Brother Maurice, um, uh, Patrice Lumumba got involved later on uh, with the Postal Union and started yeah. organizing before he was writing. Now, did he become a postman then, or he just got involved with helping the union or helping the men organize? How did that go? Helping the men organize. How did the men organize? You know what? I think that's over now. I gotta, I'll have to, uh, to take him off here. That way we don't get the feedback. Brother Omi, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay, can good. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, go ahead, Brother Maurice. Yes, so that's a, an ideal segue because uh, Lumumba has shared with you uh, was in the village in the central part of the Congo called the Kasai. And as he got into his teenage years, he outgrew his village. He had to go elsewhere for for opportunities. And that's when he wound up in then what is called Stanleyville, uh, which is in the northeast of the Congo. And it's modern-day Kisangani, which is a very... uh, uh, renowned city for a whole host of, of uh, reasons. And that's where Lumumba ultimately established his home base. He went to work there as uh, a tax uh, collector, postal uh, worker. And it is at this stage you you see the refining of, uh, of Lumumba's uh, skills intellect, where he wrote uh, for a number of publications uh, while he was uh, he was working in Kisangani. Uh, he also was taking correspondence courses, working during the day and going to school uh, at night. Uh, and he worked as a a tax collector um, for several years and as a postal administrator. And he would go to the library every day. And uh, those classes that he he took at night would eventually uh, lead him to get uh, what would be be considered a, a colonial... Uh, I don't call it a degree, but uh, a a, clon- a colonial um, acknowledgement for his uh, for his studies. Let's say it's probably the best way to uh, to put it. So yes, uh, to answer your question, uh, as a postal administrator, he began to sharpen his uh, organizing skills. He'd write for several journals. Uh, he would organize on behalf uh, of the postal workers and uh, also a particular class of Congolese at the time called the Evolué, uh, which can be translated to a civilized native, the, a certain class that was created by the Belgians to serve as a buffer between the white Belgians in the Congo and the oppressed masses. Uh, the 
Evolue would have certain privileges that other Congolese wouldn't have. They would have access uh, to uh, white spaces, but not full access or equal access. Uh, they would get what uh, was called and or they would acquire what was called an immatriculation certificate. Uh, that is akin to the uh, apartheid era Dompas. If you remember the Dompas in a, uh, a, during the apartheid era in South Africa, the so-called passbooks, and it permitted greater movement than the average Congolese. So Lumumba would advocate for integration, inclusion, equal treatment during this uh, period of his his development. So the Evolue class, he was an advocate in particular for the Evolue class, as well as uh, the masses of Congolese, but the priority was the Evolue class. And this draws us back to his childhood where he was uh, challenging authority and advocating uh, as a child. Uh, but during this period, uh, if Lumumba's life can probably best be described or characterized in two periods. Uh, prior to 1958, that is from 1925 to 1958, and post-1958. And uh, I'll share as we get more into the conversation what uh, was particularly significant about 1958 that would lead us to say that uh, his life can be characterized uh, in that fashion before 58 and after 58. Um, you know, that'll be interesting because uh, I'm looking at around 1956, he started getting involved politically. But uh, we'll kind of get back to that because I'm going to switch over to uh, Brother Obi Igbona. Uh, Brother Obi, uh, let's look at a little bit of... Uh, Kwame Nkrumah and talk about his young development because again he now he was a little different he was a highly educated man several degrees uh, uh, went to one of the top schools here in this country and one of the top black schools at that time here in this country he went to Lincoln University and he went to the University of Penn and had several degrees in different subjects Okay, so he was highly educated But but when he got back, he went mm-hmm. to England and started writing, similar to Patrice Lumumba. Talk, talk about his young life, because I think that when he started writing, I want to ask you a question because I'm, I'm curious to the answer. Uh, when he started writing in England, whether he ran into mm-hmm. somebody that uh, uh, that you're close to, put it that way. But let, let's talk about uh, Kwame Nkrumah's early life. Okay, well, um, once again, um, it's an honor to be on tonight, um, not only because of the subject matter, but um, because I have a chance to be on um, with our brother, uh, Maurice Carney, um, because words can't describe how much I respect the work he does in the Congo. And um, I'm eternally grateful to him because three and a half years ago, the Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company did a children's play called 1925. And it was about the childhood of Patrice Lumumba, the childhood of Brother Malcolm, and the childhood of France Fanon, who were all born in 1925. 
And Brother Maurice was gracious enough to arrange for the play to be done. Not only we did it in Washington, D.C., but he arranged for a portion of it to be done in the Congo. And that was African Liberation Day weekend. So um, any chance I have to thank him for that, I'm going to do so. Um, Starting with Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, um, to make it relatable to um, U.S.-born Africans, Um, he's born in 1909. And for many of us, 1909, um, our point of reference is that's when the NAACP was created. Those of us in the artistic domain, that was when Catherine Dunham was born. And um, that was the year that um, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois um, wrote the book John Brown and also made a call for an encyclopedia Africana, which would be an encyclopedia form a way to chronicle what Africans have contributed to mathematics, what Africans have contributed to spirituality, to music, to art, to science, to law, to the universe. And those who know Du Bois' journey know that um, him and Carter G. Woodson, um, not working together, but we're trying to pursue that encyclopedia. Dr. Woodson died in 1950, and um, Du Bois moved to Ghana because Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, who learned about this effort, decided to pay for it using Ghanaian resources. That's why Du Bois um, spent the last two and a half years of his life in Ghana. So um, 1909, um, you were right. Um, Being um, British colonialism, where British colonialism is distinct in terms of how they move strategically, what they would try to do is propagate the notion that those who who had advanced intellect or showed advanced intellect they would give them access to the same education. During Nkrumah's time, as he was coming of age, and his intellectual appetite increased by the second, by the minute, by the hour, he comes in contact with Namdi Ezekwe, who was the first, who was the leader of the anti-colonial movement in Nigeria. And Namdi Ezekwe, told, who went to Lincoln University before the Osajibo, and he was the one who persuaded him to go there. And if you look at his autobiography, in the autobiography, is a letter of recommendation from um, Namdi Ezekwe for Saji for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah to come to the United States. When he can't be, um, what makes him intellectually a standout is his intellectual curiosity. So when he came to the United States, he moved, he dibbled and dabbled in all type of circles. So he spent time with um, Daddy Grace's church. He ended up encountering Ella Baker. He ended up um, encountering James and Grace Boggs. He, he ended up in count. He went to school with Thurgood Marshall and he went to school with Langston Hughes over there at Lincoln University. And he was a philosophy student. And even though um, anyone who's gone to an HBCU, even if you take the philosophy classes that are available, do not be um, misled. You're going to, what you're going to see in front of you is Dostoevsky. What you're going to see in front of you is Kant. What you're going to see in front of you is Hobbes. What you're going to see in front of you is Aristotle, Socrates, Machiavelli. So Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah says during this period, the book that spoke the most to him was the philosophy and opinions of Marcus Garvey. Also in his autobiography, he talks about during this period encountering the great Pan-African organizer out of Trinidad, C.L.R. James. And he credits C.L.R. James for teaching him the immeasurable value of organizing underground. He eventually, um, what C.L.R. James does for him is he connects him with a childhood friend of his, none other than George Padmore. So when Nkrumah leaves Lincoln University, eventually goes to Penn, 
for um, Divinity School. But at this time, he starts the African Student Union. So for those of you who have gone to HBCUs in this country, those of you who have gone to what are called minority colleges and universities in this country, those of you who have gone to um, predominantly white institutions, they all have an African Student Union. And they were all, and after Nkrumah's time, they, the direction was reversed, where it came to glorify separation, where it came to glorify the amputated narrative of the collective African experience, which we see being championed by very confused individuals with limited involvement in our struggle at this exact moment in history today. So, um, or you see African student unions just showing the social aspects of the African personality, how we dress the food we eat, the music we dance to, which sounds like an extension of National Geographic trying to describe the African experience. But that is done specifically because of the groundwork that the Osagipo laid. When he gets to England, he is there to um, look at some educational opportunities. But by now, he's developed the appetite to begin to organize. And it is during this particular period that him and George Padmore, both young, both energetic, both passionate, they were the ground day-to-day organizers of the Fifth Pan-African Congress, considered by many the most important Pan-African assembling of the 20th century, which took place in Manchester, England. So Paul Robeson and his wonderful wife, Islanda Robeson, the president, um, Jomo Kenyatta is present, um, Amy Jacques Garvey is present, and of course it was Du Bois' final Pan-African assembly. And it is there that they said that um, you would have, you would see um, settler colonialism end. We have to always make the distinction between settler colonialism and neocolonialism. Settler colonialism was Arab, the Arab intrusion into Africa, the European intrusion into Africa. Neocolonialism is after we overcame the hurdle of settler colonialism, what we're dealing with right now. So at that particular point, 1945, that assembling of high-power organizers with passion, with courage, with vision, with integrity, they said that settler colonialism had to be eradicated. So 12 years later, Ghana gets its independence from um, settler colonial rule, March 6, 1957. And between March 6, 1957 and 1960, 35 nations in Africa gained their independence. The most rapid swing towards progress by any oppressed people in the history of the world. But before we get into 1957, you have to go back to 1949. When Nkrumah comes back in 46, 47, he's just getting an idea of the landscape. And at the time, the organization that had the most mass character was the United Gold Coast Convention. But the United Gold Coast Convention was not for a revolutionary transformation. It was very similar to what people know all too well in the United States. Their focus was justice. And as we know, when you are oppressed, fighting for your liberation and human dignity, justice is an appetizer. But if you want power, if you want self-determination, if you want national liberation, if you want control of every grain and inch of your territory, that's the ultimate fight. So Nkrumah recognized that the United Gold Coast Convention was very limited. And he starts a party, the Convention People's Party. What is the importance of that? When people are in a party, they are all against the same thing, but they are all for the same thing. Akme Sekou Toure, who we will talk about a little later, he started the first 
part political party during our anti-colonial resistance. The Democratic Party of Guinea, that was in 1946. Nkrumah comes with the Convention People's Party in 1949. In the mid-1950s, their great son of Africa, Emil Cabral, has the party for the independence of Guinea and Cape Verde. In Nigeria, Fela Kuti's mother has the People's Communist Party. And later, a little bit later, Kenneth Kaunda and our comrades in Zambia had the United National Independence Party. So when Kuma shows us the importance of establishing key relationships in the diaspora, organizing in the diaspora for the purpose of coming home to put um, his ideas into perpetual motion as part of a collective vehicle. And as a matter of fact, the vehicle that Barack Obama created called the Young African Leadership Institute. It was created to ensure that you don't have any more Nkrumahs. You don't have any more Eduardo Monlans, who was the founder of Free Limo in Mozambique, or Amilcar Cabral, and I mentioned it, or Maurice Bishop for that matter. Africans who leave their place of birth go into their former colonizer's nation for further education, but through that experience, gain an appetite to struggle, to resist, to organize, to wrestle power away from their colonizer. So that's the first phase of Nkrumah's journey and Nkrumah's legacy that has to be properly understood. Uh, Brother Obi, I want you to go back a little bit. Um, That Pan-African Convention of 1945 was very key. Richard, I know you want Mm -hmm. to, to... uh, to uh, interject some things in reference to that, go ahead. Well, well, it was you know, it's, a, it's well. Let me say first, um, thank you, brothers, again for the work that you do. Um, and and I'm kind of, I'm. Um, it was two things in leading up to the convention. One was the um, what, and I like to get. Did these men have this in their mind as they're developing the UN's? Um, 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 right to self determination, and the um, and the basic basically basically that, and how did that impact their thinking? Because I'm wondering. Oh, I guess that, so. That's one question, and the and and maybe pick, you know picking up that. But the other mm-hmm. point was the difference between British colonialism and Belgian colonialism. I think that's important for us to understand. So let me, let us start with that. Um, brother Obi, you know, um, can can you just outline British colonialism as Nkrumah was experiencing and, and, and as he was developing and I'm going to ask um, the same thing. I think, well, it would, that would be like asking the difference between the democratic party and Republican party, so to speak, or the difference between, the CIA and the M16 and the Mossad. Uh, to a degree, some would argue that Belgian colonialism was more fascist, more aggressive, because um, one of the things that um, was happening during Lumumba's childhood is they were chopping off uh, the hands of workers that were working in the mines when they were not satisfied with their production. And that was another thing that drove him to uh, organize vigorously. Um, in the case of um, British colonialism, it took on a more um, paternalistic character because, let's face it, they controlled more territory. You're talking Ghana. You're talking Nigeria. You're talking Kenya. You're talking Uganda. You're talking Zimbabwe. You're talking um, 
what's called South Africa. You're talking Malawi. You're talking, so you're talking basically every region. And even though um, the Berlin Conference is considered by many the place where we assembled, it was obvious that Brit British colonialism was the brains of the, of the European imperialist colonialist um, apparatus. So that's one thing. Um, Nkrumah um, understood very early the power of organization. Like I said, when he was in the United States, he starts the African Union. After working with George Pat, exchanging with George Padmore, and getting an idea to hear about George Padmore's experiences as an organizer, in addition to putting together that Fifth Pan African Congress, they had an organization called the West African Student Secretariat. So they were organizing on that level. So they had it. So they were paying attention to organizing in West Africa. They both had an understanding of the movement in the United States. They both were getting an understanding of the movement in, in Europe, and they were paying attention to Africa. And also, at that particular time, we were paying attention to the Chinese Revolution, and we were paying attention to the anti-colonial struggle in India. Those were people's points of reference, because there was no African nation that had gained independence. Ghana was the first. So we were watching the trend and watching the tactics. So watching what... So because of that... Um, this is why Nkrumah um, was very flexible on a strategic and tactical level. Um, he, what he calls positive action, which, which he highlights in his first book, Towards Colonial Freedom, what we call nonviolence here, strike, demonstrations, marches, and boycotts, this is why he recognized the power and the importance of that as a form of expression. Because um, So he's looking at how Gandhi used that in India. He's looking at how Mao Zedong used that in China with the long march to Peking, where they marched all the way from Hunan to Peking, and it took almost over a year to do it, which resulted in the transfer of power. So he's looking at that tactic. But at the same time, he's understanding that for Africa, at some point, armed struggle, the armed struggle is inevitable. And as a matter of fact, um, at the first important meeting um, when he was in power, is the All-African People's Conference of 1958, which is where he meets Lumumba physically for the first time. So Lumumba has allowed to speak and talks about um, the Congo. But also a young Frantz Fanon is in the room. And Frantz Fanon, and there was an initial resolution that went around saying that all struggles to wrestle African territory away from settler colonialism through positive action will be supported. And everybody unanimously embraced that. But Fanon stands up and says, wait a minute, there are some of us who know we're going to have to wrestle power away from the colonialists through armed struggles. Aren't we worthy of the same support? And Krumah being flexible like he was, he said, that's exactly right. And as you, and as you know, Kenya gets its independence through armed struggle. Algeria gets its independence through armed struggle. And this is why the quest, so when we say to people that Nkrumah is the bridge between the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey and Du Bois, he's the bridge between Malcolm and Martin, this is exactly what he means. We mean by that. He knew when positive action worked like a charm, and he knew when we had to get trained like guerrillas because armed struggle would be the tactic that was most effective, depending on the climate and atmosphere and milieu where you were. And was was um, because Du Bois was in 
also, even though he was a, wasn't able to attend, um, he was also instrumental when we talk about the fifth Pan African Conference. And, and no, he was no, he was physically he was physically he was, was he was did? Oh, I, I thought he yeah, wasn't. That was this one. No, 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 no. He wasn't at the All African People's Conference, and he makes a very important note about that because he says that he loved the fact that he felt that Nkrumah deliberately did not call the All African People's Conference the Sixth Pan African Congress. Because if you go back and listen to Du Bois, if you look listen, in the world in Africa, it's in the book, the book he wrote in 1946, but when they republished it, they put this speech in there called China and Africa. And Du Bois says there was a time in his, when he was still dealing with paternalism and Western arrogance, he looked at the Africans on the continent as his children, who we educated Afro-Americans would lead to liberty. He said, but in his older years, he realized that not only were we not qualified to tell them what to do, but we weren't free ourselves. So we couldn't tell them who had taken power what to do when we were swimming in a pool seeking justice, trinkets of decency, trinkets of respect. So when you look at it from that context, he knew which angle Nkrumah and Nkrumah and Du Bois could not go because if you know Du Bois, his passport was confiscated by the U.S. government in 1953 because of his role in circulating the Stockholm Peace Appeal, which was an appeal that came out of the Soviet Union calling for nuclear warfare in the end, which 500 million people in the world signed. And Du Bois start, helped start an organization in, the, uh, in 1951 called the Peace Information Center, and they were the main distributor of the appeal inside U.S. borders. He didn't get his passport back till 61. But because him and Nkrumah had a the Osajipo had a relationship, he was focusing on that All African People's Conference, and he loved the fact that Nkrumah and Lumumba and Fanon and Sekouture and Modibo Keita and all these people who could have been his children, based on the age difference, were setting the tone for Mother Africa's future, and they weren't looking to Africans, and they were looking to Africans in the diaspora for camaraderie and solidarity, not validation and approval. And, and Brother Maurice, um, if you can build on from the perspective of Lumumba and colonialism, and and the question I guess I'm unclear of in the, in the sense of um, what was Lumumba's, when the, the Fifth Pan-African Conference um, took place, where was Lumumba in relationship to that? So the, the, the point of Lumumba and his and, and his view of or um, the experience of dealing with the Belgian colonialism and and was he his view um, was he aware of or participated in directly in that fifth um, Pan African conference? Well, he wasn't in the fifth Pan African uh, Congress. Uh, that was in in forty five in the, the Manchester uh, conference uh, or Congress. Uh, but he was uh, in, uh, he did participate in the 68 uh, All uh, uh, African People's Conference in Accra. What I had uh, shared with you earlier is that 68 was a seminal year for the mm-hmm. uh, Prior to 68, uh, he probably got a keen insight by looking at where he was politically, uh, which was uh, more called arguing for inclusion, better treatment. And if you read his book, uh, Congo, My Country, you get a, a sense 
of his uh, moderate uh, liberal stance, uh, let's say. Uh, it wasn't, there are two significant uh, events that took place in 58 that propelled Lumumba uh, to another level, both organizationally uh, and ideologically. And in 58, in October 58, he formed the MNC or the Mouvement National Congolais or Congolese National Movement. Uh, the only party in the Congo that was national in scope, especially as it relates to not being tied to a particular region, not uh, being culturally or ethnically based, uh, like some of the other uh, uh, major competitors, uh, like Tosu uh, Kasabubu, Babako, which was culturally based, uh, uh, located in the, in the Kikongo. Uh, people's uh, demand, you know, the argument uh, that they had made for the uh, reestablishment of the old Congo Empire, or based in the regional uh, interests of uh, uh, Shombe, for example, out of Katanga, where they felt that uh, they ought to be prioritized because it was Katanga's. Uh, mining capital and industrial driver uh, providing the greater receipts uh, for the state uh, because of the mining interests that were there. Uh, Lumumba's MNC, uh, uh, Congolese National Movement, was nationally scope, non-ethnic, attempted to rally uh, Congolese masses uh, writ large. And the Congolese and they were on point because the Congolese people responded by electing uh, them to uh, the, uh, be the leading government in, in 1960. So, 58, the forming of uh, Lumumba's uh, party, uh, which he founded and, and headed, and then, of course, being in, in Accra. Uh, it was Tom uh, uh, and Boy who uh, played a role in getting uh, the Kenyan and getting Lumumba to, to Accra. And there uh, he was able to meet Nkrumah, the Fanons, and the Toure's. And that helped uh, to radicalize Lumumba. So post-1958, now you see Lumumba, instead of his talking about equality, inclusion, uh, he's talking about self-determination. He's talking about independence from Belgium now, you know, uh, quoting uh, Fanon out of 58, basically, by any means necessary, right? He, in 58 in, uh, in, uh, in Accra, he struck up a relationship with uh, Toure, with Nkrumah, and Nkrumah, Toure, and Keita, uh, they all saw Lumumba and the Congo being central to that you, for the project of the United States of Africa to the point where uh, Toure himself sent uh, uh, comrades to the Congo to work with, uh, with Lumumba. Uh, he signaled uh, a sister Pan-Africanist uh, from the Central African Republic, Andre Bruin, uh, was a seminal Pan-African figure uh, at the time. Uh, because uh, Bluin, uh, who wrote a book herself, 
uh, Africa, my country, really taking off of Lumumba's Congo, my country. And Andre Bluen, coming out of the Central African Republic, had connected with Sekou Toure in Guinea and played a critical role in the, in uh, the mobilizing and organizing of Guineans uh, in the infamous referendum that was issued by de Gaulle and uh, France to its uh, colonies, that they had the choice to be remain a part of France or start their own independent uh, course. And uh, the uh, Touré, along with Bluen and, and others, mobilized the Guinean masses to say no to France. Uh, we all recall uh, uh, Touré's um, famous quote, we prefer poverty and liberty to riches and slavery. That's basically what he said to De Gaulle, what the Guinean people said to De Gaulle uh, in 1958 when they voted no against the French uh, referendum. Um, so uh, Touré, uh, after uh, Andre Bluen had served her stint in under Touré, uh, cut her teeth, so to speak, in political organizing, he uh, dispatched uh, Touré, that is, Andre Bluen to the Congo uh, to work uh, with uh, with Lumumba. Uh, uh, so that coming out of the 58 conference now in Accra, immediately once uh, Lumumba got back to the Congo in December of Jan- December 58, January 59, he starts to mobilize the masses in Kinshasa, uh, making radical demands on the uh, uh, Belgian uh, colonial administrators uh, to the point where it, uh, for all intents and purposes, accelerated the independence of uh, of the Congo. So this is where we start to see a a new Lumumba coming out of the 58 uh, uh, conference, uh, headed up by Nkrum, uh, uh, of course, and and one of the key uh, organizers and lead, uh, Padmore. So this is when we'll see a, a different Lumumba from 58 um, onwards and 59 onwards. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Did you finish your thought, Brother Maurice? Sorry for the background. No, 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 that was that was on my end. Did you finish your thought? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, you know, now you're starting to uh, build for the audience how Patrice Lumumba started to get in the crosshairs, so to speak of Western governments, whether you're talking about the Europe or the United States. Um, and I'm going to try to draw all of this in together. Uh, Brother Obi, um, when Kwame Nkrumah was in England going to uh, economic school in London, I think, before he returned to the Gold Coast, uh, his travels and his his uh because he was writing at the time when he was there. Uh, did he run mm-hmm. into a, a a man by the name of Obi Igbona at that time? No, no, no. He didn't. Uh, my father didn't meet the Osajipo and go and visit him in Guinea till 1968. Okay. He was two two years removed from the coup. Okay. Removed him from power. I'm just. So, no, that was that was much later. But what you are speaking to is 
this whole process of how um, they felt eventually they had to reverse this trend of Africans um, going to the nation of their colonizer for further education, but through that process, becoming more invested in the liberation struggle of their beloved nation. That, yes. And they, they knew that. So that's, that's what Nkrumah is a product of. Yes. He's a product of and many and many after him. And, and, and there was a trend that and this enemy of ours pays attention to all we we bastardize methodology and we need to stop doing that. We put so much emphasis on ideology that we um give the impression that methodology we can deal with it when when we get ready, like we have that luxury. But the enemy always goes and looks at tactics that we utilize. And if these um, are tactics that turn liabilities to assets, they make the correction. So that's why I felt wow. compelled and obligated to bring up the Young African Leadership Institute, because that was the brains of those around Obama saying this trend here of Africans um, embracing their African fighting spirit, which is a very key part of the African personality. Um, we're going to completely reverse that, and we're going to push neocolonialism. So, um, because they look like Cabral went to Portugal to be educated, um, and Krumah went to England to be educated. Um, so this is, but Sekou Toure in this regard is different because Sekou Toure was thrown out of school in what would be the equivalent of the ninth grade in North America for organizing a food strike. And Sekou Toure is a little different because of the fact that he um, has a bloodline. His great-grandfather, Almami Samori Toure, led the first armed resistance against French colonialism in uh, Guinea, and he was hung. So obviously he knew that he was related to this man, so he was driven by that. So he shows up in school at 14 years old, and he's telling the French colonial administrators that they feed their pets better than they feed the children of Guinea. So because he was considered the leader of that strike, he already had a circle around him because of his bloodline. And like Brother Maurice was talking about, um, one thing that all three men believed in was um, looking at a nation. Because whenever we use the word tribe, the colonialists and imperialists have always used this word to suggest that we are primitive and we are backward. <laughs> so while we celebrate those nations within our nation, Nkrumah, Sekou Toure, and Lumumba, now the thing, and I'm, I know Maurice will elaborate on this, as great as Lumumba was, he was only in power for six months. But um, it, he was following the direction. So during Sekou Toure's time, he let it be known he didn't want children in the school saying they were Mandingo or they were Susu or they were Fulani or they were Malinke. They had to say they were Guinean and African. And Nkrumah was the same way. Nkrumah did not want people to talk too much about being Ashanti or being Twi or being Evi. He wanted you to say you were Guinean and you were African. So what and what and why this was important is because what a lot of people don't realize is the anti-colonial movement in Africa beautified nationalism globally because before this anti-colonial movement in Africa, when people thought of nationalism, they thought about Hitler and the Nazi party. 
They thought about Julius Caesar. They thought about Cecil John Rhodes and the British South African Company. They thought about people invading and conquering land and people, people they were not part of culturally and land that they did not belong to. But when people began to see the nationalism in the hands of the oppressed, in the hands of the dehumanized, could be an invaluable weapon where people could unite their people, ascending beyond religious and spiritual particularities, ascending beyond linguistic particularities, ascending beyond cultural particularities. Because in Nkrumah's book, Class Struggle in Africa, he breaks down masterfully the difference between tribalism and tribal politics. When he says tribal politics, he said everyone that's part of a nation inside your nation should be politically organized, but they should do what is in the best interest of the nation to put the nation's interests first and the continent's interests first, which was the same thing that Akhmet Sekutere reinforced. This is why when Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah was overthrown, Sekutere felt comfortable offering him the co-presidency of Guinea because they were not only ideologically compatible, but they were methodologically compatible. They felt that to put their ideology into practice, you had to approach it a certain strategic way and a certain tactical way. You know, uh, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation. But before we do that, let me let me go to a call. Let's go to 267. 267? Yes, uh, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, and Brother Obi and Brother Maurice, I'm going to tell you, man, you, you folks did a good job. And, Elliot, I hope you give me enough time to do explain and say some things. Uh, Brother Maurice, the way you talk about Lamuma is a very way that a person understands how he was. And I'm going to say this to you, that I went to Lincoln University. I'm a Lincoln man. And I went there with uh, Malcolm X's daughter. Her name was uh, Gilanoa Lamumba. He liked Lamumba so much that he named his daughter after Lamumba. And I was also there with Gil Noble, who had some of the footage I had never seen before, and I have never seen it again, on Malcolm X. And um, Dick Gregory's daughter also. But my thing was that the way you talk about these men, it is amazing. And after, I'm going to get into Lakumba how these men were not heavily influenced by the colonizer and were able to keep their black mind. I thought they, I don't know if it was their ego, if there is their time to be where they were at that time, but they don't know how pe- people don't know how unique they were. Then I'm going to get into Nakumba because Nakumba, one thing you said, Obi, that most people don't say is how Nakumba got his start in education in America. He went to Lincoln first. Then he went to those other universities. Just like Thurgood Marshall went to Lincoln first, and then he went to Howard. It's like Carter G. Wixom. People don't know that. He went to Lincoln and transferred. And the same thing with um, uh, Carver. Carver was not accepted at Lincoln University. But let me get back to this, and I hope you let me speak some more, Elliot. Um, Right now, today, the president of Lincoln University is two years older than me. I'm the class of 83, and she's the class of 81. And we have pictures of all these men. But I tell people, they need to be in the curriculum of the, of the students on matriculating the university. You have the pictures of these men. 
but you don't put them in the curriculum as a part of the graduating classes. And at this present time, as an HBCU graduate, I always admired Hampton University. And we call Hampton University the University by the Sea. What's good about Hampton University? They have a museum. It's very functional. It's very good. Lincoln now is working on their own museum. And the difference between a museum and a book, people are more inclined to look at a picture as opposed to reading. And we need to speak more about those great men and women, but definitely these men that you're talking about. Because, like you said, Zeke influenced Nakumba. Zeke was from Nigeria. He went to Lincoln. Nakumba came behind him. I don't know if you're familiar with the internal or fraternal orders, but because of Zeke being the Phi Beta members, Phi Beta Sigma, Nakumba became a part of Phi Beta Sigma. And they all have a connection with Africa. So I like what you men are doing, how you're explaining yourself, and what are you doing. Elliot and Richard do a very good job on getting the people like you people to give us this information. I don't know where else I would get it from. I might read about it and talk about it, but he has these men and women that come on the show. You know, we need to, we need to do something with him to give him all he needs. Elliot got a, deserves a big award for what he's doing for humanity for consciousness and content and the love of his people. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for your call, sir. Indeed. Uh, let's grab one more before we take a break. 647-647. Toronto, 647. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I hear you now. Uh, yeah, I'm at someone just walking out my door. How's everyone doing? <laughs> Everybody's great. Uh, I wanted to ask a question of, of, of both both of your uh, guests. Could they talk about the role of uh, uh, Ahmed bin Bella and uh, Jamal Abdul Nasser on the question of, uh, of, 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 of Lumumba, how they related to Lumumba. Ben Bella was from Algeria and uh, Nasser was from Egypt. Uh, I know uh, you guys know what saying that for the audience. I guess That's we question. I guess we can go first. Uh, Maurice or, or Obi, whichever. Maurice, can you hear me? Oh, Maurice, are you there? Brother yes, Obi. Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Did you did you did you hear his question? Yes, yes, I did. Okay. I did okay. Let let Obi go then. <laughs> My God. <laughs> come on. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Um, yeah. It, well, I, I'd like to thank that. That had to be Norman Richmond. Yes, sir. Uh, how you doing, bro? Um, I'd like to thank him. I'd like to thank him for, um, infusing that into the conversation because when those of us who teach young people today and Norm, I got to get with you because we got a class on Saturdays with children in Calgary, Toronto and Vancouver. But when we talk to young people, especially do not be surprised that young people are being force-fed this narrative that North Africa isn't really part of the African continent. And, um, 
And you can see when the Obama administration, in conjunction with the NATO alliance, bombed Libya for seven months in a row, how casual our response was, collectively speaking. They exploit that deficiency or that weakness, like we talked about. So um, Ahmed Ben Bella in Algeria, who France Fanon served under, eventually becoming the editor of the newspaper El Mujahideen, um, they were t- they too were at the uh, of the All African People's Conference in 1958, and that's when the decision was made to support armed struggles as well. So, um, and then of course Gamal Abdel Nasser being in Egypt slash Kenya, he introduced Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah to his wife Fatima, and he let it be known that um, he would do everything he could through the whole United Arab um, Republic exercise to play his role in um, unifying Africa. So he was an ally of of, of all of them. Now, um, one year before Sergeant Floyd, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah is overthrown, Ahmed Bambela is overthrown. And, um, but they all, all of them felt um, invested in what happened with Lumumba. Many years ago in the United States, there was a book called Garvey, Malcolm, and Lumumba, Black Nationalist Separatists, written by a sister named Shana Maglebayan. And she blamed Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah for the assassination of Patrice Lumumba. And um, because he sent 2,340 Ghanaian troops as part of the U.S. Um, United Nations peacekeeping mission. But it was sabotaged by a General Alexander, who was a British officer that it was left over from the British colonial administration, because they were still completing a transfer of power. And on page 129 in um, Challenge of the Congo, which was Nkrumah, Nkrumah wrote a whole book about what happened, he says, history records many occasions when rulers of states have been assassinated. The murder of Patrice Lumumba and his two colleagues however, is unique in that it is the first time in history that the legal ruler of a country has been done to death with the open connivance of a world organization, the United Nations, whom that ruler put his trust in. So um, what happened is when Tshombe was flying over Algeria, Bandela had been overthrown by this time, but the people who overthrew him, they still were the FLN. And the last time that Tshombe was seen was in Algeria. His plane landed, and he hasn't been seen since. And the people who overthrew Bambela did that to show that they weren't taking Algeria in a neo-colonialist direction. So there was a bit of a masquerade there. But the relationship that um, the National Liberation Front of Algeria had, and at the same time, I'm sure Brother Norm was responsible for it with many of his uh from colleagues and what have you. The Battle of Algiers was being circulated underground in this country, so our people were watching this black-and-white movie that chronicled the Algerian um, arms struggle, which lasted about eight years. And at the same time, Franz Fanon's book, The Wretched of the Earth, became the main book that the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense was reading about Africans. It was the Little Red Book by Mousy Tongue, but The Wretched of the Earth, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was circulating that book around quite a bit as well. 
So you have you have those connections there. And of course, um, with Gamal Abdel Nasser, you have the Nkrumah connection, you have the Sekouture correction connection, but you also have the Brother Malcolm connection because Brother Malcolm was almost poisoned to death in Egypt shortly after he wrote an article called Zionist Logic, condemning Zionism, in the national newspaper, the Egyptian Gazette. And Gamal Abdel Nasser's physician had to pump Brother Malcolm's stomach. And um, for whatever reason, these uh, these people who are treating Malcolm's assassination like an Agatha Christie novel or an Alfred Hitchcock movie don't bring up what happened in Kemet slash Egypt in relationship to Nasser. They reduce it to what happened in the Audubon Ballroom and what have you. So there is definitely a connection, and Nasser was part of every phase of the efforts to bring about not only a unified Africa, but a unified socialist Africa. Because Lumumba wanted the unified socialist Africa, Akne Sekouture wanted the unified socialist Africa, and of course, Osajiko, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah said that socialism and African unity are organically complementary. Can I, can I, can I, no, oh, I'm sorry. Can I say no, something? No, I just I wanted to, go ahead, go ahead, Brother. Oh, I wanted to say, basically, I wrote an article about, uh, I was writing freelancing for the Globe and Mail, which is Canada's national newspaper, and I wrote about what Brother Obi just said uh, about uh, Malcolm X's, Malcolm X speaking, you know, uh, in, 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 uh, against, uh, Zionism, and uh, I was uh, basically, uh, they fired me, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I cut you off, brother. Oh, no, 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 no problem at all. Uh, I just wanted to compliment a few of the points that uh, Obi uh, just made. Uh, and something something that we really have to confront today uh, and Obi uh, pinpointed it is how we look at the African continent. Uh, if you look in the liberal discourse and even among some of the leaders, they, they talk about sub-Saharan Africa, uh, which is a uh, fiction. Uh, probably uh, our Guyanese scholar, Dr. Ivan Van Sertema um, said it best. He said the, the Sahara has never been uh, a separator or a divider for Africa. In fact, it's uh, been uh, everything but in terms of trade and connection uh, going back thousands of years. Uh, so uh, Algeria, United Arab Republic, uh, were all part of the United States of Africa plan where um, and Kuma laid out uh, in the challenge of the Congo, as uh, Obi um, stated, uh, Congo would serve as the capital of the United States of Africa. And unfortunately, Lumumba was struck down, which uh, set back uh, the Pan-African uh, project, Kuma's Pan-African project. Uh, it may not be known by many, but it was NASA who stepped to the table to... Uh, come to the, the side and the rescue of Lumumba's children. If you talk to Juliana Lumumba or Roland Lumumba, any of them, they'll tell you that they grew up in, in Egypt. They left Congo and found uh, succor uh, in Egypt. It was uh, Naxa that invited them uh, to, to Egypt. 
um, because it wasn't safe for them in the Congo when they were protected there. Uh, so to uh, answer your question um, specifically, brother, uh, that's one of the uh, big contributions that uh, is made uh, not only to uh, uh, Congo overall, but to Lumumba's uh, family by uh, protecting uh, the children of a, a freedom fighter uh, like Lumumba after he was uh, over, overthrown. And I just wanted to uh, add to uh, something that uh, Obi said about uh, the uh, the book that was written about uh, Lumumba and uh, Nkrumah. Uh, in a lot of respects, uh, Nkrumah can be seen as a political father of uh, Nkrumah can be seen as a political father of, of Lumumba. Lumumba looked up to Nkrumah, sought guidance and counsel uh, from uh, Nkrumah. If uh, there was uh, any regret that uh, Nkrumah had and he shared in the challenge of the Congo, or it may have been his inability to, to get to uh, Lumumba in time in order to uh, provide him with a uh, a deeper counsel around the situation that he was in. And Kuma rightly recognized that Lumumba wasn't given uh, an opportunity. He was, he was marked uh, the moment he, uh, he was inaugurated. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> within uh, weeks of his getting in power and acquiring power in the Congo, uh, the, uh, Western forces, the United States and the Belgians uh, in particular, later the United Nations, started to destabilize the, the Congo. Uh, in fact, he was inaugurated on June 30, 1960, and by uh, September, he was overthrown. So he wasn't given a chance. The forces that were arrayed against him uh, were legion. Uh, we're talking about the local elites, like Mobutu, for example, we're talking about uh, the United Nations, as uh, Obia laid out, uh, Belgians, uh, the, the United States. And uh, I would uh, highly recommend that folks read a book uh, written by the uh, chief of station of the CIA, Larry Devlin. Don't buy it, get it from a library or something. But in that book, Chief of Station, uh, he, he laid out how it is, uh, Obi was talking about earlier, which was such a critical point, how uh, the enemy studies us and see uh, our strengths and our weaknesses. And uh, Larry Devlin in his book, it's really a handbook as to how the CIA goes about overthrowing democratically elected uh, governments and leadership, revolutionary leadership. And in there, uh, he states uh, he shows how he orchestrated the overthrow of, of Lumumba. Uh, shows how he corrupted Congolese elite. Um, but he said something that was particularly uh, striking, that Lumumba, he had to shift, Devlin that is, shift the battlefield, in essence, from the suite to the streets. He felt that if he was to leave the battle within the parliament, where it was a question of democratic debate and argument and persuasiveness, 
they would lose hands down. Uh, Lumumba could persuade anyone to his side and had the, the rhetorical skill and acumen to sway uh, his detractors through the word. So the job for uh, Devlin and the CIA and those Congolese elites that he had recruited was to move it to the streets, where it was violence, where the guns, and he felt that that's where that was the equalizer uh, for uh, the uh, for the United States in ultimately overthrowing uh, Lumumba. Um, so, uh, you um, question you pose uh, certainly Egypt came to the side of the, the children of uh, of Lumumba, and certainly they're the fundamental part of Nkrumah's and Therese, uh project for the United States. Uh, of Africa. I have one and, more um, question. Okay. I wanted to add something real quickly, if I could, mm -hmm. before you ask Brother North. If that's okay? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Richard. This, this would be quick. Mm -hmm. um, for, tho for those of us who look at life within the scope of the never-ending lovers quarrel between Democrats and Republicans, there's something else that's very important that needs to be uh, dealt with. Um, Dwight Eisenhower said Lumumba needed to be assassinated outright. Dangerous. John F. Kennedy said Lumumba should not be assassinated, but under no circumstances should he be allowed to reclaim power. So for those of you who break your neck every day distinguishing between Republicans and Democrats. Ask yourself which one is more problematic. Eisenhower, the bloodthirsty war criminal, just wanting to put Lumumba six feet under, or Kennedy giving the illusion that it was a genuine change that took place, but at the same time letting it be known that anyone but Lumumba should be at the helm of the Congo. <laughs> Brother, thanks for your... You said you had one more question? Yeah, I just wanted to know the name of the book uh, by Carlos Moore's... That was Carlos Moore's wife's book, and like the brother said, don't uh, buy it if you can get it from the library or... You know, there's ways to get it, but just definitely don't buy it. What was the name of the book, and what was the sister's name? I think she married Carlos Carlos Moore, uh, and oh, she may have been what? from Brazil. Hmm. Well, um, yeah, the book I was talking about, it, it looks like a Cliff Note-type book. My dad used to have it, and one day I just picked it up. Um, but the title is Garvey, Lumumba, and Malcolm, Black Nationalist Separate. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That is it. And her name, her, if I'm mistaken, her name, if I'm not mistaken, her name is Shauna Maglabayan. That's her. I'm reading, yeah, and I'm reading a book, and I remember one way back in 1991, um, Raz Baraka came back to Howard. He was in an organization called Black Neoforce. This is the mayor of Newark. And they would have these Friday political education meetings, and they brought him back to speak. 
and he saw me um, come up there because I wanted to talk to him about something else. And then he just starts going into this whole thing about what happened to Lumumba. And so he sees me, and he's like, yeah, I wanted to ask Brother Ovi what he thought about that. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, you man, you memorized Sean and Maglebion's book, huh? And he looked <laughs> at me, and I said, um, yeah, you read that, and that's nice. But when you get a chance, go to a direct source, Challenge of the Congo, written by the Osaji Fall, that explains the whole episode. And... Um, so it let me know that um, at different points in times, when people decide to read, they may read a secondary source and treat it like it's biblical. I agree. Thank you for thank you for uh, uh, both of you brothers, and I'm enjoying the show. Thanks for your contribution, thank you, brother. Norm. Actually, something that he said that I'd be remiss if I didn't pick up on when he talked, um, brother Norm talked about the Malcolm. And Lumumba, Malcolm named his daughter after Lumumba. I think I uh, first got introduced, interestingly, to Lumumba through Malcolm. It's virtually impossible for you to to listen to Malcolm's speeches, read Malcolm's speeches, without being introduced to Lumumba. I'm hard-pressed to find a, another figure that spoke about Lumumba and the Congo the way Malcolm did. Uh, I think in the, in the leading um, to your show, Brother Elliot, you had a speech. You, you had Malcolm's uh, voice there. And if I'm not mistaken, it was his opening at uh, the Oxford debate that, where he was uh, talking uh, about radicalism, debating in Oxford. And the, the, the bulk of his speech, I think up to about nine minutes or so, dealt with the Congo, focused on Shambe, and the role that he played in the Mumba's uh, assassination. Malcolm said, uh, uh, felt the Mumba was such a powerful figure that Stephen went as far as to say that Lumumba was the greatest African to ever walk the continent. Uh, when uh, Malcolm started the organization of Afro-American Unity, one of the first um, programs that he had was on the Congo. He was going to show uh, a film on the Congo and talk about the Congo, and folks in the audience were getting a little bit restless. The film didn't work or anything, and they couldn't really show it. So somebody was uh, asking Malcolm, like, why are we even looking at the Congo? Focus on the Congo way over there when we catch in hell right here in Harlem. And Malcolm gave a, what I thought was a brilliant retort where he said, as long as you think you have to get Mississippi straight before you get the Congo straight, you'll never get Mississippi straight. So he uh, not only clearly understood Lumumba's value and the threat that Lumumba posed uh, to Western uh, imperialism with them getting rid of him, overthrowing him within weeks, uh, but also uh, the centrality uh, of the Congo uh, to the larger African liberation um, struggle, whether you're in Harlem, in Mississippi, wherever, 
that that was unfolding in the in the Congo at the time, uh, which uh, Che Guevara himself would later uh, echo uh, what Malcolm was saying. And some some people make the argument that uh, when Che met Malcolm in in New York, that uh, they had discussed uh, how it is that uh, Malcolm Che can support the revolutionary movement in the Congo. And they uh, said that uh, Congo's problem is a worldwide problem. Saw Congo as being on the front line of the anti-colonial uh, movement, anti-imperialist movement. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to be remiss if I didn't um, bring in Malcolm in the discussion. It's hard for you to talk about Lumumba without talking about Malcolm, talk about Malcolm without addressing uh, Lumumba, even though they uh, didn't, uh, didn't meet. Uh, they were um, kindred uh, brothers uh, on both sides of the Atlantic who were uh, fighting against the same forces uh, during their, their era. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the dialogue, and you can get involved, too, by dialing 215 Four nine zero nine eight three two. That's two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. The Pan African Life and Times of Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, and Ahmad Sekoturay. Our guest this evening, activist, journalist, and playwright, and U.S. correspondent to the Herald, Obik Buna Jr., an activist, organizer, and co-founder and executive director of the Friends of the Congo, Brother Maurice Carney. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. 
abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, the only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu Black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu Black communities, escape the digital plantation now, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store we are here for you escape the digital plantation a new era a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years to a struggle for genuine equality and this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far people were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far it's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go, but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Ralph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Mary Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. 
I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-asserted manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Sunday edition is 844. On this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, our guest this evening in conversation the Pan-African Life and Times of Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, and Ahmed, Ahmad Sekatere. I guess this evening, activist, journalist, and playwright, U.S. correspondent to the Herald, Obi Bona Jr., and activist, organizer, and co-founder and executive director of the Friends of the Congo, Brother Maurice Carney. Give us a call. If any questions or comments, anything you want to say in reference to the subject matter, you can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-98. 32, uh, Brother Maurice, and I want you and Brother Obi to weigh in on this. Uh, you mentioned earlier in conversation when you was talking about uh, Lumumba and his early life uh, that he moved to another city, Stanleyville, I think you said, and it was a class struggle going on there, a class struggle that had been created by Western governments, Belgians in particular. Uh, I think you mentioned the Evolver. Did you, was that the correct name? Evolué. The Evolué. Uh, was or a, evolved. The evolved African, evolved Congolese. Okay, was a buffer class that whites had created to kind of keep situation where they could monitor it. So they set up a buffer class. Now, that's the same formula that Western governments use, period, whether it's on the continent or whether it's in the United States, where they set up a buffer class, give certain privileges to that buffer class to keep the masses in line, Uh, sometimes by outright lying to them, sometimes giving them an illusion of power or so-called inclusion, or just not serving them at all. But it's the same formula. What I want you men to help our audience to understand because when we're talking about these men they were Pan-Africanists in their views uh, uh, Brother Obi talked about some of the men that helped form some of their outlooks and world view uh, the, the world view that some of our people have both on the continent and here in the US that we're separate people uh I don't want to have anything to do with people on the continent. They're African. I'm not. I'm an American. 
I don't want to have anything to do with the people in the islands. Uh, they're Jamaican. They're uh, 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 from Haiti. They're from Cuba. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm an American. Who's who's uh, 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 who does that help? Does that help Europeans in their quest to keep absolute power, as it was stated in the vignette, or does that help African freedom, ultimate freedom and independence from European powers? Because these men that you talked about, they didn't have that worldview. They knew that by liberating the continent, we could help liberate all of our people. But this foolishness that has been started now, propagated by a buffer class, Brother Obi, you mentioned about that organization that Obama starting on the continent to try to monitor people's uh, outlook and worldview. So when they're educated, they come back with a Western worldview instead of a African worldview. Talk about how dangerous this is. And to let our people know that this stuff works against our best interests. And I'm talking to two men that are, that, that are staunch organizers that have organized on the continent and here and in other countries. So you have a better perspective on this than myself, Richard, or even our listening audience. Talk about it from your perspective. And anybody can go first, Brother Maurice or Brother Ubi. Um, well, I think, go ahead, Maurice, you were about to go. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's just a question of exposure. Now, um, I'm glad you brought up you, that was Dr. King you were playing. Yes. Dr. King went to Ghana before Malcolm did. Dr. King went to Ghana to celebrate the independence. And when Dr. King is taught, when we teach about Dr. King, what's the first thing they say? He was influenced by Gandhi. He was influenced by Thoreau. He was influenced by Emerson. And that is deliberate because then they don't mention Nkrumah. And the reason is because they are propagating the notion that to gain a more sophisticated understanding of world development, Africans must look outside their experience. But going back to what you were saying, this is why Osajipo, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, penned the classic book, Neo-Colonialism, The Last Stage of Imperialism in 1964. At the time he penned the book, he, Ghana was earmarked for $33 million in humanitarian aid from the United States. And once they saw the draft of the book, they, that check wasn't coming. But he was completely unfazed. And he already knew um, what they were planning because um, Ghana changed their constitution in 1960. So they went from having a prime, him being the prime minister to him being the president. They just made some strategical and tactical adjustments. And the current president of Ghana, Nana Akufo-Addo, his uncle and his father and uh, his two uncles, they set up the first um, opposition to the Convention People's Party and ran against them in the presidential election. And they played a crucial role in the coup d'etat against Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah which took place on February 24th, 1966, at the same time that the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Dr. King had their first physical meeting together in Chicago. And Nkrumah was out of the country, so he was trying to garner support for Ho Chi Minh and the Vietnamese and presenting a plan to end the Vietnamese Revolution. And Lyndon Johnson had called him on the phone 
and asked was he out of Ghana yet. And the reason he claimed he was calling is because he had they had struck instructed the US military to stop bombing so that Nkrumah's plane could safely arrive. But that wasn't true. They just wanted to put the coup into perpetual motion. Um in that book, Neocolonialism, he goes into the role of the private corporation in regime change. He saw that when he came to the United States in 1960, because when he came to the United States in 1960, the Hershey, com- they, the Hershey flew him to Pennsylvania to their plant. Then when he got to New York, the New York Cocoa Board of Trade had a, de- a reception for him. So he got a chance to see how these corporations were going to be involved in regime change. And this is why when we got involved in work in Zimbabwe, we would let people know, yes, the National Endowment for Democracy is a work. Yes, the National Democratic Institute is a work. Yes, the International Republican Institute is a work. But Sir Richard Branson and Virgin Airlines want regime change in Zimbabwe so they can control the tourism industry. When, um, yes, Philip Morris and... um, What's the other one? Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds, tobacco conglomerates, want regime change in Zimbabwe because they would take over the tobacco industry. As a matter of fact, during the Lancaster House negotiations in 1979, Jesse Helms flew Bishop Abel Muzariwa to Washington to sit down with the leadership of R.J. Reynolds and Philip Morris and to let him know that he could have, they would have his support if he would let them take control of the tobacco industry. so what? Ha- and, of course, when we go back to Lumumba, we talk about the CIA, we talk about the United Nations, but the CMP telephone company was involved, too, because the Congo has 87% of the world's coltan, the mineral needed for laptops, for cell phones, and other technological gadgets that we depend on on a daily basis. So in Krumah, by dealing with the book Neocolonialism, he exposed that to the world. The other thing, too, is Nkrumah said that defending liberated territory takes precedence over waging resistance in a quest to liberated territory. So when you look, and, and so the enemies of Africa began to say, he's coming up with this romantic notion of a unified Africa because he's negligent in Ghana. But the truth is, between 1957 and 1966, Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah and the Convention People's Party built 68 factories a tire factory, a manganese factory, a cocoa factory, a bicycle factory. As a matter of fact, when Queen Elizabeth came to Ghana, she said the roads of Ghana were better than the roads of Britain. So he was showing the world that even though Ghana was revolutionary without question, pan-Africanist without question, anti-imperialist without question, scientific socialist without question, it was still being an engineer in industrializing the continent, but in a way that the masses would benefit immensely. Sekou Toure complements this strategy because if you know anything about Guinea's makeup and composition as a country, you know that it is the bauxite capital of the African continent. And the gold and diamonds in Guinea, even though they're not in abundance as in the Congo or in what's called South Africa, the quality is very good. But he said no one should dig in the ground in Guinea until we can guarantee that every time we dig in the ground, it's for Guinea's benefit and it's for Africa's benefit. And um, in Krumah, the month before he was overthrown, they built the hydroelectrical dam, the first one in Africa, the Akwesombo Dam, which was so powerful that it not only 
had provided electricity to every grain of Ghanaian soil. It provided electricity for Togo and Benin as well. And um, according to Dave Chappelle, the world-renowned comedian, his mother had been in correspondence with Patrice Lumumba about developing a hydroelectrical dam in the Congo. So when we talk about the neocolonialist aspect of this, it's to make sure that they can have leadership that they control culturally, that they control politically, to ensure that they use our resources for their interests and their benefit, never ours. Well stated, brother. And to compliment what uh, the Obi just, just shared, uh, in line with your question, Brother Elliot, in uh, the, the colonialists, the imperialists, have to make a concerted effort to create and manufacture that evolue, that new Negro, so to speak. I've uh, spent some time in, in Colombia, Venezuela, to observe um, uh, Africans organizing. And what uh, a few things um, struck me. And one is the extent to which the cultural bond, rather to say, the, the practices uh, that have been untouched by slavery and colonialism, neocolonialism, still exist among the masses. And uh, in Colombia, for example, which I believe is probably, uh, I would say probably, the most organized Africans that we have on the planet. Uh, just uh, if for nothing other, because organizing for them is an existential uh, challenge because of so many, because how it is that uh, Afro-Colombians, uh, Africans in Colombia are, are targeted uh, by the state. But they, in organizing politically, at uh, the root of it, they implemented a, a range of African practices which says it, which says to us that if the masses, whether we're talking about Colombia or even in Venezuela, or even here in the United States, if you look at uh, Sterling Stuckey's work, uh, Slave Culture, where he goes and documents, uh, particularly among Africans in the South, the practices that we still uh, embrace and embody that come from the continent. And there will be a natural cultural inclination uh, toward uh, the motherland, uh, toward Africans uh, at home. And so I'm of the belief that, uh, brother, that the concerted effort uh, on the part of the neocolonialists and the part of the imperial state to create that buffer class is pursued with a full understanding that left your own devices we would naturally gravitate towards and embrace uh, our African brothers and sisters, which would form the foundation of, and the connection for uh, a worldwide African uh, revolution. Mm. Brother Obi laid it out uh, or shared that uh, Dave Chappelle's mom, uh, Dr. Yvonne Sion, was sought after uh, by Lumumba. Uh, one of the things that 
uh, the Lumumbas and the Krumas uh, were keen about is seeing Africans as a part of one global family. So when Lumumba came to the United States, Zad Howard spoke to the students there. Uh, he invited uh, Dr. Yvonne Sion, and she wasn't a doctor at the time, but she was a student, to come to the Congo to be a part of the Congolese revolution because he saw the Congo, Congo's pursuit for self-determination, Congo's pursuit for African sovereignty as inextricably linked to Africans in the United States. And she actually went. She took him up on his offer. Unfortunately, she got there uh, after he had been assassinated. But uh, she went anyways and, and went to work on the, the Grand uh, Inga Dam. Uh, a dam is uh, properly built uh, to provide electricity power for the entire African continent. So that class that you're talking about and the effort to stand up that class definitely serves a, as an obstacle um, to a liberation. But the type of organizing that uh, is grounded in African heritage and culture, I uh, am fully convinced by that, that the effort to stand up that class cannot withstand uh, the organizing undertaking that uh, we're about right now. Uh, even as, you know, we talk about Nkrumah, talk about Ture, talk about Lumumba, one of the main reasons why we uh, even address Lumumba is to demonstrate to this current generation the continuity of our struggle. So when we go and speak to young people uh, about Lumumba, for example, or the book that I shared with you that we're uh, writing, uh, or we've written and done, and intentionally uh, did it as a graphic novel or and as a cartoon so we can reach the younger generation, it's for the purpose of putting the responsibility in front of the current generation to let them know they're part of a rich tradition. And here are some of the ideas that Patrice Lumumba laid out uh, for African liberation. And those ideas are still applicable today for you to embrace them, build upon them, Add, to, add what is especially your own to them, uh, but understand and recognize that you're part of a dignified tradition of resistance, dignified tradition of community building, dignified tradition of uh, the pursuit for African liberation. So the reaching those young people is key to our undertaking. Uh, Brother will be of course, in his practice and dealing with the youth and in the plays. Uh, we work with the young people uh, in the Congo using music, art, theater, dance, the whole bit as tools uh, for teaching and weapons for liberation. And that is probably, if I were to say, um, out of all the conversation that we've had today, uh, the most critical element is reaching the youth in this generation, uh, particularly because of the pursuit 
on the part of the imperialists to capture the minds of the youth. Yes. That uh, young African leadership initiative that we talked about, they've even taken it to another level uh, and changed the name. They now call it the Mandela Fellows. So using, and which is really particularly sinister, when you think about the United States standing up a program called the Mandela Fellows. Mandela, who was on the U.S terrorist list until the 1990s, until he was 90 years old. It was the Congressional Black Caucus who said, we were going to try and get him lifted off the list. We don't want him on the list for his 90th birthday. But it wasn't just him, the African National Congress. I think members of the African National Congress may still be on the U.S. terrorist list. So the way in which imperialism works, it, 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 it works in a way that once they cannot fully eradicate you, they rewrite history. That's why it's so key for us to talk about Mandela and what Mandela stood for, the radical, the way Obi talked about Dr. King, the way we're talking about Lumumba, and the not only repository and guardian of information for these figures that were targeted by U.S. imperialism, but also the conduit for getting out to this generation in every conceivable way, through plays, through music, through art, through dance, you name it, whatever the young people are gravitating um, towards, that we get them the proper, correct information about the liberation path of, uh, of the Mandelas, of the Kings, of the uh, Lumumbas, of the Nkrumas, of the Bluans, and, and so forth. So. That's that's. I know we're getting close to the end. That's one of the messages that I'd like to leave with the audience and really make an appeal to them to join us in this effort to reach our youth, to reach this generation as we organize for African liberation at home and abroad. Let me go to 602. 602? Yes, uh, Brother Elias, uh, Brother Richard. Good evening. Good evening to your guests. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. How you doing? All right, the brothers, brother Marcus. You know, um, what the brother was saying about um, the young people, I had an opportunity to be in, well, they, I guess they made the mistake and let me into one of the African Union youth groups. Uh, African Union Youth Leadership Group. Okay, it's because, you know, the African Union has a group of young people that they're grooming for the next, to, to take over from these people. See, they have, they have a group. And I'm telling you, they are some of the most antebellum, backward, step and fetch it Negroes I've ever, I mean, you know, spoken to in my life. I tell you, if that is the leadership that is coming to Africa, we're in a whole lot of trouble. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, who they're grooming in that African union that's coming. So, you know, as the brother said, we got to step up our game. We can't, you know, no longer we should let the, 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 the 
they, they, you know, like people like Mobutu die of old age. No, the man didn't build a school, didn't build a road, nothing. Stayed in in the Congo for thirty years and ain't built nothing. You know, so we got to do something because you know, I it, it is very. It, it sometimes it's depressing. You know, the other day I was watching something um, that's coming out of Sudan. No, not not uh, South Sudan actually, not Sudan. You know they have their problems in the north. But I was looking at what was taking place in South Sudan. You know South Sudan, they fought and they, you know they all those tribes got together and they, you know they fought and they beat Sudan and got the independence. No, they fighting themselves, you know, and it is the ain't no type of African, the Pan Africanism there with Dinka fighting this tribe and that. Well, uh, you know, could the brothers give me a little, you know, hope? Maybe the brother who writes for the, the Zimbabwe Herald can, you know. Mm-hmm. What can be done in a situation like that? You know what I'm saying? Where it's wholesale you know, killing, tribe killing okay. tribe, you know? Um, Give me something, can more, I, brother. Sure. Um, thank, you, thank you for your input, most importantly. Now, the thing is, when we talk about um, wherever we, whatever, whether our focus is local, whether it's national, whether it's Pan-African, whether it's global, the most... Uh, Osajifo, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah used to tell us all the time, a people's history is too often written by its ruling class. So when you see sensationalized movies with no content or substance to speak of, expect it. When you see consumerism being glorified, expect it. The question is, and one of the most beautiful characteristics of history is the challenges that it imposes. This summer, while everybody was pontificating about Juneteenth, the Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company did a play called Ready for the Revolution, and it was about the life, work, and service of not only Akme Sekou but the sister Mbalia Kamara, who led the women during Guinea's independence struggle and was assassinated by a Guinean chief in 1955. She was stabbed in the stomach with a sword while she was pregnant. And she has the largest statue in Guinea today. And that happened in 1955. So when Brother Maurice was talking about Pan-Africanizing the narrative, so in 1955, when you talk about Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks, when you talk about Emmett Till, when you talk about Claudia Jones being deported from the United States, make some room for our sister Mbalia Kamara. Osajifo Dr. Kwame Nkrumah said the best way to measure the degree of a country's revolutionary awareness is by the political maturity of the women. This year is the 30th anniversary of the passing of Sally Mugabe, a Ghanaian woman who met a young Robert Mugabe while they were teaching at St. Mary's College in Takoradi, Ghana. And because she accepted Nkrumah's dictum that Ghana's independence meant nothing unless it led to the independence of every grain of Africa, she leaves in the third year of Ghana's independence. She leaves to go into battle-tested southern Rhodesia, which became Zimbabwe in four. 1982, she organizes a children's conference. 1992, we're having the Day of the African Child. 
So we organized that that play. We did the play. Not only did we do the play, we or, we had some youth from Eritrea perform. We had some youth from Cuba perform. The Nat Lockholm Anita, the National Children's Theatrical Ensemble. We had um, some children in Haiti perform. Matter of fact, we did a play in Haiti through our brother, Kweku Lumumba, who's also a member of Friends of the Congo. But he did it through the organization in Haiti that he's working with on the ground there. We did a play called Dem Parsley, which was about the Parsley Massacre, where the U.S.-backed um, military dictatorship was executing Africans who migrated to the Dominican Republic from Haiti because they could, um, they had them saying the word parsley, and they could hear their French accent, and after that, they would execute them. So what I'm saying is, um, we did this play, and we had, and we we would like those of you who are listening to organize a showing of that production before the end of this year, as part of a campaign we've been putting together called the Nkrumah um, Toure 50 campaign. When we talk about, uh, um, so we have to mention those women. And not only that, in relationship to the intelligence factor, the reason that Kwame Ture, formerly known as Stokely Carmichael, did not end up like Dr. King, did not end up like Medgar Evers, did not end up like Brother Malcolm in a pine box, was because of Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah and Akme Sekou Ture, bringing him to Guinea to lay the foundation for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, which Nkrumah started calling for in the Handbook of Revolutionary Warfare. Another woman I wanted to mention, too, real quickly, was a sister named Freddie Henderson, who set up the first all-African travel agency in U.S. history. Her father was watching the Montgomery bus boycott, and he said, why beg to ride on white folks' buses, let's fly planes to Africa? And they chartered that plane to Ghana for the independence that took Louis Armstrong, that took John Johnson from Ebony, that took Ralph Bunch, that took Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to um, there for Ghana's independence. So um, I'm just saying, and also the other thing that Maurice talked about is this travel dynamic. Um, when they were afraid of Guinea, right after, because Sekou expelled the Russian ambassador from Guinea, so the Kennedy administration saw that as an opportunity to try to um, manipulate Sekouture. So they, he got his buddy, Harry Belafonte, as an emissary of the U.S. Peace Corps to go to Guinea. And he took John Lewis with him. He took Fannie Lou Hamer with him. And he took some other members of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Only in the last few years in his memoir did Mr. Belafonte admit that he did that as an emissary of the Peace Corps. We had been led to believe that he did that as an act of solidarity with the Guinean Revolution. But what came from that was Guinea agreed to bring their dancers and drummers to the United States, which makes me turn to something else. It is a damn shame that all these drumming and dancing ensembles all over this country the ones that do the Odunde in Philly, the ones that do the birthright celebration in D.C., how none of them are doing a tribute to Sekou Toure, where if it wasn't for Guinea, African drumming and dancing would not be popularized at the level that it is. What they did actually became a third renaissance. And then the other thing I wanted to say is even though Sekou Toure and Guinea liberated themselves by strikes, demonstrations, and boycotts, what we call positive action in Africa, Akme Sekou Toure's first decision as the president of Guinea 
was to arm the entire Guinean nation, and they instituted the people's militia. So you have, can you imagine the level of unity and trust you have in your people to give every child, every woman, and every man that's physically able a gun in their hand to defend the territorial integrity of the nation? And this is why when Emil Cabral was assassinated in 1973, the United States, Portuguese, and French had a plan to assassinate both Emil Cabral and Sacred Touré. They got Emil Cabral. They could not get Sacred Touré. So these are the type of things. Um, thank you for creating a springboard, not only for us to talk about the work of these great fighters, but how their work has influenced us and the work that we're doing right now. So once again, we would like for anyone who is interested that would like to see the showing of that play, Ready for the Revolution, that some children did. A 14-year-old boy played Sacred Ray, and his 9-year-old sister played Mbalia Kamara. If you want to see it, you can arrange a showing in your area if you're listening. Norm will take care of us in Chicago. Brother Elliot and Brother Richard take care of us in Philadelphia. Maurice, let's sit down and figure out how we can do some showings so people can see practical examples. So before you start critiquing the woman king, before you already have your critique of Wakanda forever set up, do know that they are alternatives out here to the nonsense, to the glamour, to the gimmicks, to the fraudulence in the name of culture and the African personality. Thank you. Uh, Brother Marcus, before you, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Before you go, um, Brother Obi had mentioned earlier in conversation, and you might have caught it, when he talked about the organizations that uh, the West has set up and they used Obama to help them set it up that uh, uh, to cultivate Western mentality in some of the uh, African students that are coming here. Uh, you, the, the, the meeting that you went to, uh, what was that again? They were, they, they were from the African Union uh, Youth Leadership Group. Right? So they were from the African Union. So they were they were they sponsored by the United States. So I mean, who was sponsoring they, them? They were they were from the African Union. So I, I don't know if they were getting any support from the United States, but the, the, that group was they were you know African Union Youth Leadership Group. So I don't know if, if America was in the background, but I'm telling you the mentality of those people was, I mean, it's no type of um, uh, Pan-Africanism, nothing about Marcus Garvey, just, just buffoonery and ignorance to the highest order. I'm telling you, I had to leave. I had to get out of the group because just for my my men, my psychological sanity, my sanity, I said, let me get get away from these people here, you know, because I said, you ain't going nowhere. So, you know, well, that's the, that's the AU now. See? So if that's food they're grooming to take over, you know, I, I don't know. But one more, one more little thing I want to uh, ask. What they thought, what's your thought on, 
um, Idi Amin, would you consider Idi Amin a Pan-Africanist too? Because yeah, he expelled the millions out of um, Uganda. You know, where do he, he fall in today? And I'll mute my phone and continue listening. Thank you for your contribution. No problem. Maurice, you want that? You want to start that one? No, you go ahead, brother. I was start by saying you, you well, know, you're not going to get. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you. What you say? No, no. I was, was going to start by saying uh, you're not going to. The uh, Forrest Whitaker version won't get you to the truth. <laughs> well, this is this is the thing. Now, um, also, this is the 50th anniversary of uh, Fidel Castro coming to Guinea, which is the first place that he went in Africa. Because we deal with the Marxist-Leninist interpretation of Cuban-African relations, people dishonestly exclude African leadership that wasn't Marxist-Leninist to the T. But um, I say that to say that um, the same way we, we have to distinguish between Africans wherever we are. There are those who fight for our liberation, and there are those who are going to fight against us. One of the main vehicles that was used by imperialism, the British came up with it, was called the King's African Rifles. And these were Africans who were convinced that colonialism, it was in our best interest to stay colonized. Independence was too difficult. Independence was too challenging. So what happened was they assembled mercenaries who fought with them against liberation movements. In Kenya the British, the King's African Rifles fought against the Mau Mau. Idi Amin was a member of the King's African Rifles. And um, Tom Mboya had approached Milton Obote, the president of Uganda, about forming a training center for trade unionists. And Obote agreed initially. But when he found out that this was a CIA initiative, he shut it down. And after that, imperialism came after him using Idi Amin. But what eventually happened is Idi Amin, he would have you believe that he used them and they used him. So it's the concept of strange bedfellows, if you will. But for us, any African that comes from the ranks of the King's African Rifles, any African that comes from the ranks of organizations like the Rhodesia Seller Scouts, the Africans in Cuba that say that they represent some Afro-Cuban dynamic in terms of some uh, new uh, evolved outlook on the African identity in Cuba, but it's really a neo-colonialist instrument. It's a continuation of what we've always dealt with, and we'll, we'll persevere. We, we, won't be, um, we won't be denied. So they're going to come up with vehicles. They're going to come up with strategies. What we do is the most important thing, because if we are not careful, we end up immortalizing our enemy. So what I would say is I hope they invest more in our demise, because that shows how much they fear us. So at the same time that they have the um, Mandela Leadership Institute, you have um, Howard University, you see their shuttle bus right now, the ad says it says Howard University has more students in the Peace Corps than any other HBCU, and we've been asking the alum. But so we're asking these students 
who got the John Lewis Award for Good Trouble, are they going to speak to that? Are they going to address that? Or for them, is it an illustration of black excellence, which is the latest battle cry for true blue integrationists? So these are just the type of, so when we talk about class struggle, it was Akhmet Touré that said Pan-Africanism is class struggle, meaning Pan-Africanized the class struggle at the same time that imperialism is Pan-Africanizing neocolonialism. So if Akufa Ado is building a Pan-African museum in Ghana, but at the same time he changes Founders Day from Nkrumah's birthday to the creation of the United Gold Coast Convention, his uncle's organization. And they were so jealous of Osage for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah that their organization boycotted the independence celebration. So there is a war for direction that is taking place in Africa. This is why the work that Brother Maurice is doing with the Friends of the Congo is so important, just to let people know that Lumumba's desire hasn't gone anywhere. And to just expose young people to Lumumba, there's a 24-year-old sister right now in Burkina Faso who has built a center um, in honor of Thomas Sankara, and those children were in our play in July. And the other day she sent me a video where they're doing our poem, the language poem in French. So what I'm saying is they are people who are working on the ground in these places and doing remarkable work. The problem is what Brother Richard always brings up. When we have these assemblings, be they conferences or whatever you want to call them, the workers and the laborers and the servants are excluded. So pontificators who have been practicing social distancing before corona in relationship to these issues are the ones up there talking. And because they are a safe distance from the action, a safe distance from the labor, they eventually have to start saying what we need to do, which is a more personal account, because what they're claiming needs to be done, there are people that doing that from the moment they open their eyes when they wake up to the moment they close their eyes when they retire for the evening. So what we have, what is necessary is to put the focus on the laborers, put the focus on the servants, put the focus on the organizers. And if you still want to listen to casual commentary that is removed from the activity, that's your prerogative. But never let them pass themselves off as being on the front line doing this work. I don't care if they name themselves after Lumumba, name themselves after Nkrumah, name themselves after Thomas Sankara, which is fine culturally, but that does not mean that they are at the forefront of doing the work that best captures the essence of those great fighters. <laughs> Richard? I'll just say this oh, uh, about uh, Amin. Uh, uh, old Brother Obi is uh, so right in his being part of the British attempt to put down the uh, Mau Mau uh, uprisings in, in Kenya. Uh, he later on went on to fall out with the British, uh, carried support from, from Gaddafi and uh, Mobutu. Uh, but the, probably the most telling thing. Uh, in terms of you putting uh, Amin in, in perspective, is that he was driven out of power by Julius Aneri when Tanzania 
moved in on Uganda, uh, headed up by Amin. Uh, after Amin tried to annex the Karegar region of Tanzania. So it comes down to a choice between uh, Nyeri and Amin, you will get a sense of where you can put them on the-, the and, real, and real quickly, I, I had a disagreement um, with, some com- with some comrades of ours who Idi Amin gave their name to. Uh, mm. Because initial Mukasadada, and this was a, com- mm. a disagreement on strategy and tactic. Comrades mm-hmm. can disagree on strategy and tactic. So he said that what was going on in um, that um, what went on in Zimbabwe when they had a transfer of power initially looked like a coup. And we were saying no, because a coup looks like what happened to Bimbela. A coup looks like what happened to Lumumba. A coup looks like what happened to Sankara. That didn't happen. And then after a while, I said, wait a minute. It's only one person on this phone that had a relationship with someone that pulled a coup, and it's not me. And I was talking about Idi Amin. So my point was, if you could work with Idi Amin, why can't we work with Emerson Monongaga? So it's important to know that at certain times, they are people who, who take advantage of our desire and masquerade themselves and position themselves to give the appearance that they stand with us. But if you live long enough, work long enough, they'll expose who they really are. <laughs> another, dar- another darling with a big voice that a lot of people enjoy because he's entertaining is the is the kid in uh, what's called South Africa, Malima, who um, used President Mugabe, a photo op with President Mugabe, to enhance his profile beyond what's called South Africa. But all of a sudden, he started saying everything beautiful in Zimbabwe is Chinese. And then when the International Republic Institute supported a movement called the This Flag Movement, which was a regime change agent, he put it, he sent a tweet out saying he supported them. So, um, and we now know that he has a relationship with Robin Renwick, who was the British foreign secretary to Rhodes, special secretary to the Rhodesian government and the South African government under apartheid. And he had a press conference for Malima and Malima went to the press conference and looked like he was with his long-lost, like he was with a long-lost relative. He looked happy. He looked comfortable. So they are people who um, masquerade when it is advantageous to them. But if time goes on, you will see exactly where they stand on the most critical and defining issues that we have to tackle in order to be liberated. Don't be and sentimental. Really, you took for me, uh, Brother Obi, uh, something that uh, uh, Walter Rodney uh, laid out in a, in a speech in, in Howard in the mid to late 70s, where he said the, the easiest 
thing for us to declare is our blackness. And part of the reason why you said that, uh, and this is instructive for us here too, one of the biggest debates uh, at the time was uh, the movement in, in Angola and which side uh, folks were going to, to be on. And a lot of our folks here were on the side mm. of the Vimbi. Because, and you need her. Uh, and you need her. You, uh, and you need her because of really skin color. <laughs> we represented the darker section, segment of the Angolan population, uh, as opposed to the Santos or Neto. And uh, as time went on, as uh, Brother Obi shared, you see that uh, Tavimbi was nothing more than an agent of uh, the Central Intelligence Agency, who mm-hmm. uh, Mobutu uh, would feed arms and uh, weapons and resources to. Uh, and and to, you and, and use Mobutu and use, and use and use Mobutu's private jet to re- land in Angola after being out yeah. for many years. Yeah. So knowing about the Savimbi, knowing about studying the history of the, he means they're critical for us and discerning, you know, our stance for today and what we uh, support uh, on, the, uh, on the African continent. I just wanted to compliment what uh, Brother Obi was driving with that important that he... And, and, he and, how hard, and how hard did we fight to defend ZANU-PF against MDC and against mm. Z- the Zimbabwe Congress of Trade Unions and all these people who were openly working for Zimbabwe's demise? which put us on a collision course with Trans-Africa, which put us on a collision course with the Congressional Black Caucus. And what we do is we leave room just to clear the air. Just like um, three years ago, Dr. Leonard Jeffries had come to D.C. and he had started talking about the Osagipo in a reckless manner. And he said that, oh, he was a Marxist-Leninist through and through. And when we had a chance to be on a radio show with him, we cleared the air. We said, in his autobiography, yes, he did say he was a Christian and a Marxist, and he didn't see a contradiction. That in itself showed he wasn't a traditional Marxist, because Marxist Marx says that religion is the opium of the masses. So how can you have a Bible in one hand and a communist manifesto in the other? But we went on to tell him that in the Osajepo reading Marx, Akme Sekutere reading Marx, Emil Cabral reading Marx, Samora Marshall reading Marx, Patrice Lumumba reading Marx is no different than Charles Hamilton Houston instructing Thurgood Marshall and Constance Baker Mobley to read Madison and Washington and Hamilton for the purpose of using the U.S. Constitution as a weapon of resistance to end segregation. You can get knowledge from a variety of places, but you eventually come full circle and get back into your personality. So um, he, and this is the reason why in Ghana, they applied the revolution specifically to the needs of their people. Guinea is a Muslim country. So obviously religion or slash spirituality isn't the opium. And the way they applied it is I remember in 1982, um, 30 years ago, I was a teenager. I was at Howard University when Akme Sekoutoure came, and he was introduced by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said 
while everybody knows the, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad is his political father, I mean his spiritual father, Akme Sekutere is his political father. So this is why whenever we want to spread the truth about Sekutere, we know that we can count on the nation of Islam. We know we can count on these people in the artistic sector who popularize dancing and drumming all the time. But we're still asking them, we got a little bit of time left, all the drumming and dancing ensembles in North America and the Caribbean and Europe, you should come together and give Sekutere his just due because because of his commitment to tell Guinea's story to the world in the form of a ballet, that played a very important role in breathing life into your institutions. We're challenging you to step up and get that done. Not because we're saying so, but it sends a message to our children, a positive one, that you are grateful for who empowered you. You are grateful to, for who expanded your horizon. This is a very important message because we, we do everything we do for the young people. So I, we want them to really um, consider because if they don't embrace Secretary, it suggests that Harry Belafonte's book hit home. It suggests that French intelligence's perception of him hit home. It suggests that Zionist Israel is the cat that has your tongue because um, UN Resolution 3379, Zionism is Racism at the United Nations, Sekou Ture pushed that harder on the African continent than anybody and was the closest ally to Yasser Arafat and the PLO on the African continent in the 70s and the 80s before he passed away in 1984. So, and which helps us today because when we say that the African Union has let Israel have observer status. Not only that, you have um, 47 of the 55 African nations have Israeli embassies in their country, which means they have normalized relations with Israel. So how are we going to address their support of apartheid and Angola and Namibia and Mozambique and Zimbabwe and what's called South Africa, if we've got normalized relations with them. How we know the fact that they were against um, self-determination for Algeria and Tunisia. How are we going to justify that when they're the only nation besides the United States that feels the blockade against Cuba must be maintained? So the work of Secretary, the work of Lumumba, the work of Nkrumah, it's so, it has so much variety, it has so much space, it has so many levels to it that it gives us a chance to use it on a strategic level to push. Those of you who are Thomas Sankara celebrators, and deservedly so, the idea of the pioneers of the revolution, which is what they did with the children of Burkina Faso, he got that from the Youth Pioneer Institute in Ghana. So Nkrumah's influence spread. Those of you who are um, admirers of Mangalizo Sabukwe and the Pan-Africanist Congress of Romania, mm. if you look at their flag, the star is over Ghana out of respect. So these are things, so when we make these connections, people just need to know about these connections. And um, lastly, I just want to say that there's an incredible effort in Ghana right now called the People's School, where a comrade of ours 
acutely sacred since 1999, has been living in Ghana, has not come back to the U.S., and they have a school in the village. I think it's in Tarkaradi, but it borders another place. I don't know the place, forgive me. But he's made Nkrumah's books the staple of the curriculum. The school is free to Ghanaian children, and the graduation rate is 100%, and the college acceptance rate is 100%. So these are the type of things that we're doing. We're not just up here to lecture on these people. We're connected to the work that inspired them to get on the battlefield. So thank you very much for this the opportunity this evening, and we'll be together again. Matter of fact, we're already together all the time. Richard, before before... We're coming down the home stretch. Richard, uh, I know you want to uh, probably add a couple more things before we close out. Well, well really, I just um, wanted to get clarity on the play, um, Brother Obi. The play, when you ask for support for it, are, is this a live showing and that you want um, people, no matter where we are as far as in the time for waking audience, can be able to um, sponsor, bring bring the members to um, act out the play? Is that a live showing, or is it something that can be done virtually? You know what? I think we might have lost him. Uh, well, and, and the question for you, Brother Marisa, is the graphic novel, is it out already, or is it just complete? And if it's if it's, if I heard you right, that it is complete, when um, will it be distributed? If it's if it isn't already, it'll be a, it'll be available on January 17, 2023. That'll be Lumumba Day, and people can go to lumumbaday.org, lumumbaday.org, and complete the form there. And let us know that they'd like to um, receive a copy of the book to pre-order the book. So and that's Lumumba Day. Lumumba Day, lumumbaday.org. And at the same time, I'll make a commitment uh, to do something on Lumumba Day, maybe a screen of film, get a resolution passed, supporting Lumumba Day, uh, help to organize an effort in your school, your university, your uh, faith institution. Uh, we're mobilizing people on a global scale to commemorate Lumumba Day uh, certainly as a means uh, to keep uh, his spirit, his teachings uh, alive, and also to connect you to the youth in the Congo who are organizing to fulfill on the Lumumba's mission of a free and liberated Congo and a free and liberated Africa. So that's lumumbaday.org. Mm-hmm. And complete the form and let us know you'd like to pre-order the, the book and also do something to support Lumumba Day. Sounds great. And, and, and that's the graphic uh, 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 novel? Novel or cartoon, yes. Good. Uh, you know what? Before we leave, uh, 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 Brother Maurice, you mentioned something, and I want you to kind of expound on that if you can in the few minutes that we have. As a person that have traveled around to our people on the continent and in the diaspora, you mentioned a little while ago in conversation that the Afro-Colombian population is the most organized Africans that you've seen on the continent. Did you did I did you hear you correctly? Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, well, now absolutely. As, as an organizer, now why do you say that? Because I think it's important for our people to hear this. Why why did you say that? And this is from an organizer's perspective. Why do you say that? Uh, for several reasons, uh, I've had time to 
to, to spend, have spent time with them and, and organizing and seeing how they, they move. Uh, they, first and foremost, for, for them, and actually let me say this, I, I first recognized it in, in Venezuela. Um, because uh, uh, Venezuela on the Chavez had uh, organized the like a pre-meeting for the decade of the Afro-descendant, uh, which is something that was initiated by uh, the United Nations, and they invited the Venezuelans invited people of African ancestry from all over the world and to Caracas. And this was in 2011, now, uh, well over a decade ago. This was under Chavez. And this was under Chavez, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, when uh, at the tail end of Chavez, his health wasn't that uh, that good at the time, but he was he was present and uh, fully engaged, where he laid out um, his program for uh, Afro descendants in, in Venezuela. And what a uh, there are Africans from all over the world. And there was one African uh, group that really struck me the way they moved uh, from their drumming and their dancing. And they were just super organized. And somebody, you know, and I was like, who are those? And somebody said they were there from, Colum- you know, they're from uh, Colombia. And uh, a few years later, I had a chance to visit Colombia and spend time with the organizers, organizers on the ground. And there's several reasons why I, I say that. The, the way the Colombians organized, the Afro-Colombians organized, for them, it was a matter of life and death because so many of the organizers were on the threat of assassination uh, from the state and also from militia that was working in cahoots with the state. Because if you know about... Uh, Afro-Colombians and the land that they, they uh, inhabit, particularly in the Pacific Coast, what they call the Choco uh, region. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most resource-rich uh, areas of Colombia, you know, in gold and other natural resources. So moving them from the land, displacing them for corporate interests, displacing them uh, on the part of the state, uh, is a top priority. So if you're organizing to maintain the land, then you are immediately a threat to the state. So they had to be organized on a, cert, uh, on a, on a level that would protect their, the lives of the organizers. So it's almost as if they had no other choice. If they were going to get into the realm of organizing the masses, they're going to have to be super organized in order to protect themselves both from the state and the, the militia. That was one. Second, uh, we would be sitting down in an hours-long meeting, and then you hear the drums start beating, and then the folks start dancing. And so they'll have slides on the screen and going through, you know, in detail, organizational structure, the national structure, regional structure, uh, local structure. But when the drums started beating, everybody got up, and it was time for them to take a, a, a drum break, really channeling their ancestors, tapping into their African culture. Uh, they even had the shrine, some, some of them had the shrines uh, or altars there 
uh, within the, the context of the, the, the meeting itself. Uh, but so when when they produced, uh, they, I think they represent there's maybe about 10 million or so um, Afro-Colombians. When they produced a vice president in the system market, uh, it was no surprise um, because uh, of the level of organizing uh, that, um, you know, I've witnessed myself and seen over the years with them shutting down ports, putting pressure on the, on the government, protecting their leaders. Uh, so uh, I've been to many places where Africans reside, and uh, my contention is in Colombia you find the most uh, organized Africans on the planet. Do, do you know much about her? I've seen uh, where she had uh, become vice president. Do you know much about her? She had uh, worked um, a long-time uh, movement uh, worker, working for women's rights, gender's rights. Uh, she has uh, been a, a major figure on the, uh, the Colombian activist scene for a very long time. Uh, we stood uh, death threats uh, uh, from the state. Uh, she had uh, first uh, was running to be president uh, before she uh, decided to um, uh, join up and uh, be, um, uh, be on, the, on the ticket to be a, a vice president. And in fact, many uh, people argue that uh, it's in part because of the work, the groundwork that she had done in uh, mobilizing the, not only the Afro-descendants, uh, but also the indigenous uh, population of Colombia uh, that enables uh, the, uh, the the leftist uh, ascent to, to to power. Uh, so our sister our sister Marquez uh, has played a critical role in uh, ushering a left. Uh, presidency left left administration uh, in uh, in Colombia, and if you have any sense of the the history of uh, of Colombia, Colombia has been uh, a uh, outpost, really uh, a bulwark uh, for uh, the United States in terms of its uh, uh, upending. Um, uh, launching attacks against countries like uh, uh, Venezuela, uh, running interference uh, for, uh, against the leftist movements coming out of Latin America. So for Colombia to issue a left administration is, is a huge feat and certainly uh, something that's uh, uh, of uh, keen concern for, for the folks in Washington to see Colombia uh, shift to the left, especially when uh, within the next week or so, we may see the return uh, to power in Brazil of Lula. And uh, I mean, you can only imagine Colombia, Venezuela, Brazil, you know, just those three alone uh, being in the hands of, uh, of, uh, of the left in, in uh, South America. Uh, so, so yeah, she, she represents a, a very, uh, you know, a powerful uh, force and movement. It's not just her, uh, but uh, the movement that's behind her 
uh, in Colombia, and a super organized one at that, as I, as I've stated. Yeah, you know, I, I, that's why I wanted you to talk about that from a perspective of a staunch organizer, because you know we just see a lot of these reports on the television. And we really don't know what's going on. And they ain't going to really tell you the story of what's going, what's going on with our people in those areas. But I'm glad to get the perspective of uh, somebody that's on the ground uh, organizing. Yeah, if you, if you get a chance, you know, to bring some of the uh, Afro-Colombians on to, uh, to talk. You, you know, about, we, 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 uh, we did. Your work. Uh, we have, oh, great. Fantastic. We, but this Fantastic. was a while ago. And, and sorry to say, I think that the... The person that we had on with you remember when we had the person on with us, Richard? Yeah, yeah. I think we, the, the person that we had on with us must have run to some type of problems, and I'm talking about with the either one of the militia or the government because we were unable to reach him. He never got back to me, never contacted me again, and never heard anything. And I, I kind of suspected some foul play had happened. But uh, we'll be in touch with other I folks. Would, I would, I would, I wouldn't doubt it. You know. Uh... We've uh, organized uh, with Colombians uh, in in DC for 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 a number of years, you know, and to to see a humble sister like uh, Marquez, you know, who just you know coming from a, you know, as uh, the story is often told about how she was a maid and you know environmental activist and challenging corporations uh, to become. Uh, on the national, uh, to rise to national, international uh, theme. Uh, it's just an incredible story, uh, not just for her, but uh, as I said, for the organizing uh, behind her, uh, the organizing base uh, that she, uh, that she, come, she comes out of. Um, so uh, we, we definitely, uh, behind uh, Brazil, uh, Colombia has the second largest population of blacks, you know, in uh, South America. Mm-hmm. And uh, the blacks that uh, uh, still retain uh, a substantial repository of African cultures, cultural practices, and um, with a deep desire to, to reconnect uh, with the continent on uh, on several levels. I saw one of the plans that we uh, we have in place is to have young Congolese go to visit Colombia and see what's being done there uh, to learn uh, and share about the, the mechanics of organizing and what organizing looks like uh, in, a, in an environment where it's a matter of life or death. Well, Maurice, I want to thank you for your work, your organizing, and looking forward to the uh, <clears throat> the uh, book coming, the graphic novel coming out. I know Richard is looking forward to it because he's a big fan of those graphic novels. Oh, awesome, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's why I wanted to make sure. I, I understand. Matter of fact, I've already sent my um, whatever. You got my name. Uh, awesome. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> you got a special copy coming to you. <laughs> Brother Reese, we'll talk to you soon. Oh man, thank you, thank you. I look oh, and, forward and to listen, any, next time we're able to, to ground anything. It's just an absolute pleasure being on with uh, with brother and my comrade, uh, brother Obi. And and also anything that ever happens, any information that you want to bring or whatever, I'm just a phone call away. All right, and appreciate we, that. We'll appreciate talk. Both of you.
Thank right. you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Stay strong. Peace. Peace. Richard. Yes, yes. Good conversation, and I'm anxious for the program next week. That's all I'm going to say. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Right, right, right. I can't wait. <laughs> Before we leave, oh, I talked to um, Brother Patrick today. Brother Patrick will mumble. They, uh, they'll be broadcasting their program Thursday. Uh, it's been a lot of things going on on down there today, but, you know, sending around the water. and Because right. uh, he was in the Delta when he called me today. Um some other things that he was talking about in reference to, he said that they, um, they unveiled this statue down there of Emmett Till. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and, uh, he said that, uh, they had gotten, you know, some of the black political forces down there, I guess it's Benny, whoever that was involved, they got some artists out of, uh, Utah to make this statue. Hmm. And, uh, hmm. He said the statue of Emmett Till basically looks like a grown man when Emmett Till was a fourteen-year-old right. young boy. So you know, it's this. I'll, I'll probably get him on because I, I want to get a little update on, on how, you know how they make it out in regards to that water because this water still is not right. They're still delivering water, even though that racist governor down there talked about the water was all right. Yeah, that's not true at all. So, um, and also I seen where. Um, Somebody uh, uh, followed uh, Reverend Pinkney's advice and filed that suit with the EPA. Uh, did you see that, Richard? No, no, I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, Brother Patrick said he wasn't aware of who did it, uh, whether it was uh, Coach Abasi or one of the brothers that was on, but somebody did it. He said he'll find out because he wanted to kind of give the listening audience an update, whether he do it on this program or on the Thursday's program. We'll, we'll see. Great. But, uh, but it was good talking to him. Uh, before we leave tonight, just uh, give it a lineup on time for an awakening media, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting dialogue and guests on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on Monday evenings, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Maria Kanban and Dr. Kamal Kanban. That's 8 to 9. Conversation reparations from 9 to 10, the first and third Mondays of the month on Tuesday. 8 to 10 p.m. Black Reality Think Tank with host Dr. William Rogers uh, on Wednesday. It's our time, the, uh, the Black Farmers Program, West Georgia Cooperative, from 8 to 9 and from 9 to 10. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, well, the, the, Black, the Black Farmers Program from, uh, from uh, 8 to 9. On Friday, Time for Awakening is back from 8 until... And on Saturday from 4 to 6, from six uh, from 7 to 9 p.m., I'm sorry. I must be getting a little tired. The elders of Sankofa would host Brother Alfonso Watkins. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school They seem to be 
Thank you. 